This is Ye Old Dragon's Library, the storytelling podcast. This is the place to hear fantastical fiction and hear from authors of fantastical news stories. This episode is another chapter in the fantasy novel Plantwise, book one in the Steward's World series. If you're ready for the magic of story, let's begin. Chapter 18 Morning gilded the roofs and streets and walls of Stonemount's capital, so the entire city seemed to be part of the gold and scarlet and purple of the sky. Arden blinked bleary eyes, sore from the smoke of her tiny campfire, and smiled at the glorious sight in the low, sprawling valley below her. She had stopped for the night at the top of a hill, with the lights of the city twinkling in the distance. She took the glorious vision of the city as an omen. Then, as she finished washing with the chill water from a stream that raced down the hillside, she wished she had not claimed the omen. As the dawn crept into full morning, the gold vanished. Shadows trickled through the city, turning it black as if an illness ravaged it. Arden hugged Violet closer and tried not to see the illness doing the same to her child. She busied herself with her hair, fed Violet, and neatly packed their few belongings away. By noon, they would be at the palace gates, and though the journey was over, the work had just begun. "'Not as beautiful as you expected?' Glynna murmured, fading into view as Arden paused to look down at the increasingly blighted city. "'I had silly romantic dreams when I was a child.' She tried not to sigh as she put the last of her journey bread into the basket. "'The city only reflects the heart of its king. Once it was a beautiful, happy place.' when the king was a good man who cared about his people. Westerland will become just as ugly. Never! Arden flinched as her sharp words startled Violet. The little girl looked wide-eyed at her mother, who cuddled her close and murmured nonsense words to soothe her. When the bitterness grows stronger in your heart, Glenna said, it will affect the entire country. Your plan is wrong. Am I evil to want my daughter to live? You want to shame Maddox, her teacher said, with tears in her eyes. You want to put the apples into his hands in front of the entire court and tell everyone only you could heal the tree because you created the tree. It's the truth, isn't it? She kissed Violet once on her nose, prompting a giggle from the child, then settled her into the basket for their final journey. Truth is a flame that warms or destroys, Glynna said. It all depends on what is in your heart. Dylan nearly forgot to stop at the alchemist's shop on the outskirts of the city to dye his hair and beard mousy brown. He hid his sable roots under a cap while traveling and gathering information for his grandfather, but he couldn't wear his hat inside the palace. It didn't go with the livery he wore as part of his disguise. He had established himself as a low-level servant, assigned to the groundskeeping staff and the stables, before he faked his death with the help of several allies of Ambrose. His position was lowly enough that few of the higher-ranked servants noticed when he was gone for months at a time. Those who did notice were friends, and delighted in keeping secrets from Maddox and the nobles who supported him. They thought he was working for the day when Ambrose would be strong enough to flee to freedom. Ambrose's plan using Dylan as his messenger to kingdoms all across the continent, reached much farther than that and would take years. 
Dylan wasn't surprised, but still worried, when he found his grandfather's imprisonment had been made even more restrictive, bad enough that Ambrose couldn't leave the palace grounds, and everywhere he went he had two very visible bodyguards who discouraged everyone but the most elite from seeking his help. Healing others was bread and meat to Ambrose, and the lack of use continued to dull and stifle his gift. Now, Ambrose couldn't even roam the palace grounds freely during the daylight hours. When Dylan slipped into the suite of rooms where his grandfather now spent most of his time, he found him a little more hunched, a little more pale, a little more weary. He was shriveling up, wasting away from disuse, and looked almost as old as he truly was. Dylan wished for the first time he hadn't faked his death to stay free of Maddox's spies and threats to force Ambrose to cooperate. He would march into his distant cousin's office right this moment and face him down, make him see the harm he was doing to Ambrose. The last time he had tried to persuade Maddox to give his grandfather his freedom, he had wanted to badger that false innocence and concern off Maddox's face and make him eat his lying words. Maddox continued to claim he was protecting Ambrose, that his life was more precious to him than any treasure Stonemount possessed. That was the problem. Ambrose's gift was nothing but a treasure to Maddox, something to hoard for profit, not something Yeshin had sent into the world to bless everyone. Twenty members of one family waited for the guards at the border gate to swing the heavy iron barrier open in mid-afternoon that day. The Stonemount guards tried to ignore the people, though a few cast envious glances at them, grandparents and mothers and fathers and children. The Westerland guards gave the ragged, footsore, hungry people pitying looks, and one ran for the newly built storehouse. King Alex had given orders that anyone entering Westerland in need would be given decent clothes and medicine and enough food to get them to the farms that always needed more workers. The ground began to vibrate several long moments before the thunder of hooves became audible. The people looked around in terror, then scattered with loud cries as Clancy and Bathan appeared through a gap in the forest, leading a troop of twenty elite guardsmen. At the same moment, many miles away, Arden waited in the shade of the rear palace gates while the gatekeeper sent for Jason, the head gardener. She smiled at her daughter, who sat up by herself now and looked around at their new surroundings with interest. It was a pleasant enough place, Arden acknowledged. Wide stone benches in the shade and two trickling fountains furnished with cups so travelers could refresh themselves while they waited. Still, the blight that touched all of Stonemount reached even to the palace walls, visible in the stunted and dying plants in what were once ornate beds along the walls on either side of the gate. The dry twigs and colorless weeds hinted at the ornamental plants that had once graced this place. The little man-door to the left of the gate creaked open, and Jason stepped out. He was a big man, with a leathery face and wide shoulders and long, deft fingers. Arden wondered how he felt, watching his precious gardens dying little by little. Did he fight with his king over the cause? Did he protest even once when Maddox imprisoned her tree? Was he a new man, brought in because the last one protested? There was so much she didn't know, so much even faithful Rilling couldn't tell her. You are the woman seeking work in the gardens? Jason looked her over, 
visibly dismissing her. He raked one hand through his sparse red hair, pulling it over the bald patch running down the middle of his head, and tried to smile through his regret. We have no openings, especially not for a woman burdened by a child. This is heavy work, and you're just not built for it. But you do have an opening, sir. She almost laughed, pitying him for his attempt at kindness. The king needs someone to heal his apple tree. You? We don't need more farmers' wives making themselves nuisances. My husband was a soldier, not a farmer. I am plant-wise. She stood, lifting Violet to perch on her hip, and met the man's eyes. Don't say that too loudly. King Maddox killed the last three who claimed to be plant-wise, and lied. I can prove it. She held out her hand, demanding he test her immediately. Jason looked around at the stunted plants, the prickly bushes that held onto the soil with leather roots. He pulled a pod off one bush right next to the gate, so close that when it opened completely, the wooden bars battered the poor plant. If you can make something of this, he shrugged, trying again to smile as he put the pod in her open palm. Bittersweet, she smiled and glanced at Glinna, who hovered close by. Appropriate. Indeed, the ghostly woman murmured. Arden cradled the pod in both hands and sat down on the stone border of the flower bed. Violet tried to get her little fingers between her mother's hands and chuckled with delight when Arden resisted her. Green-gold magic flowed out from between her fingers, a little brighter with every second that passed. Happy tears burned her eyes for the first time in months. She had truly feared she had lost her plant-wise gift altogether. Hope does amazing things, my dear, Glenna murmured. Your emotions were always too tightly woven into your magic. Arden opened her hands to reveal the pod had sprouted several leaves and a delicate stalk. She shifted Violet to her hip and got up, taking the seedling over to a spot by the closest fountain, where it would get plenty of water without being splashed too hard. As she scraped at the soil with her fingers to make a hole for the seedling, she left streaks of green-gold magic that faded slowly into the soil. As soon as she planted the seedling, it put out more stalks and leaves. "'The job is yours,' Jason breathed, hope lighting his face. "'Heal the king's tree, and he will give you half the kingdom. "'Right now, I need decent quarters for myself and my daughter.' Arden stood, fussing with Violet to hide the relief she felt, which threatened to turn all her joints to water. She reminded herself that she was no princess here and had no right to command. "'Granted,' he said, "'food and a girl to bring you wash water morning and evening and new clothes.' and ten silver pennies every week. What if I don't heal the tree? She couldn't help asking. She shivered a little, as it came to her how vicious Maddox had to be about his ailing tree, for this man to be so generous. Mistress, others have tried, and the tree worsens each time. I always test them as soon as they appear. But you? He chuckled and spread his hands, indicating the answer was self-evident. Perhaps you should test me first, before you show me my quarters. Very wise move, my dear, Glenna said. Find out where the tree is first. Find out if all hope is gone before you're too deeply inside enemy territory and trapped. We've come to a break in the story. I'd like to take a moment to tell you about a book that you might be interested in reading. Looking for some space opera on the light side? Maybe something reminiscent of a certain groundbreaking TV show? 
you might enjoy the adventures of the AFV Defender, a starship with a growing reputation for misfit luck and adventures that puts her crew on the forefront of solving mysteries and problems in the Alliance. Book One, Friendly Fire, in which the Defender is infested with miniature dragons. Book Two, Here There Were Dragons, in which the Defender is sent on a diplomatic mission to a planet with dragons in their history. Book Three, Etrusca's Vow, Lieutenant Makar is sent home to Nisandros to face possible execution, or worse, diplomatic marriage. And coming this fall, Book Four, Inquest. Only one ship in the Alliance fleet has a reputation stranger than the Defender, and that's the Inquest, with her crew of rule-breakers and miracle workers. When the two ships are assigned to work together, the biggest question is which one will survive the mission. The AFV Defender series, Space Opera, from Michelle Levine and Ye Old Dragon Books. Make sure to listen to the next episode of Ye Old Dragon's Library. This will be a storyteller's episode, a two-parter, talking with Deborah Cullen Smith, author of the award-winning Mina, Warrior in the Shadows. Deb also happens to be one of the two old dragons writing weird stories, the guilty parties behind Yield Dragon Books. We had a lot of fun talking about her process, how she weaves historical events into her fantastical fiction, and listeners will learn a little bit about her trilogy, Last of the Long-Haired Hippies. It's going to be a fun two episodes, so make sure to come back and listen. And now... Back to the story. Arden felt the ailing tree long before she saw the stone wall that enclosed it. The tree should have stood taller than the wall, which was higher than Jason's head, and topped with metal spikes slanting outward to discourage climbing. Arden couldn't see the tree's branches even from the top of the slight incline at the head of the path. She shivered and wished she hadn't taken her shoes off when she reached the palace gates, because she felt the silent whimpers of the tree's roots as it tried to suck nourishment in through the dead ground. There was stagnant water nearby, and it fouled what little nourishment came in through the roots. The leaves were useless, taking more energy from the branches than they produced. Arden felt them, sickly yellow-brown, even before she reached the iron gate with its ornate curlicues and pouncing beasts and saw inside the enclosure. It was all she could do to keep from crying out and yanking the keys from Jason's hands as he bent to unlock the gate. She set Violet down as soon as she stepped through the creaking gates and ran to the tree. Tears touched her eyes. Glinna was right. Part of the tree's illness was because of her, the bitterness and anger in her spirit. She nearly stumbled when a flicker of green-gold life danced across the tips of the outermost branches. Slowly they rose— stretching out and upward, like a dying man reaching for his sweetheart. "'Oh, I am here. It's all right. I'll make you well again,' she whispered, as she leaned against the naked, too thin trunk. "'I'm sorry. It's all my fault. But it's going to be all right now.' Green-gold magic flowed out of her in her tears, then spilled from under the kerchief covering her braided hair, and down her arms and legs, soaking into the soil and the roots." The sparkles of magic danced up the branches, leaving a greenish tinge 
and suppleness in leaves that a moment before had been brown and crackled in the occasional wind. Violet laughed and clapped her hands as magic skittered over the tree. Arden glanced over her shoulder through tearful eyes at her daughter and laughed. She had truly feared she would have no magic left, no sweetness in her heart to bring about the miracle her child needed. As that fear died, leaves popped out all over the half-denuded branches, causing Jason to yelp and dance backward, as if the sparkles of magic would reach out and bite him. In the Westerlin Palace Gardens, Alex sat at work under the branches of his sister's tree. He had promised to keep watch over the tree, so he had his people set up his study outdoors when the spring weather permitted. He was just looking up to thank Caitlin for the fresh pitcher of water she had brought him when a tingling raced up and down his arms. He looked at his hands, tinged with green-gold sparkles. "'Majesty!' Caitlin gasped and burst out laughing. Alex looked at her, then followed her gaze. Above their heads, the tree burst out in pink and white and gold blossoms, and tiny green apples the size of marbles popped out among the new flowers, with each kiss of a magic spark. "'She's all right! She's all right!' Alex roared. He leaped up awkwardly and grabbed Caitlin's hands, to dance her around the tree in limping, giddy, joyous flight. Even when he stumbled and his bad leg gave out, they laughed and clung to each other. When he kissed her soundly on the cheek, Caitlin didn't blush or play coy. As she helped him back to his chair under the tree, both of them breathless, Alex wondered if there was another magic in the air besides plant-wise. He wisely kept his mouth shut, because there was only so much room in his heart for rejoicing. Maddox sat in his study and tried to make pleasant conversation with Lord Anselm. It took all his skill in dissembling to appear relaxed and smile cordially. He barely tasted the rich red wine that Anselm sipped leisurely and rolled over his tongue with the enjoyment of a true connoisseur. "'Tell me, Majesty,' Anselm said, "'what progress have you made in obtaining the magic apples my king requires for his daughter?' "'Oh, we've had many offers of help.' Maddox nodded, studying his face in the dark depths of his cup, and slouched a little in his chair. "'It's very encouraging. I had no idea how much the people love me.' "'They love the reward you offer, Majesty. Have you considered Princess Arden of Westerland? She is plant-wise, and Westerland is an ally of long-standing.' "'Yes, but I hesitate to ask.' Arden is having enough problems right now, governing Westerland while her brother is an invalid. He silently cursed Alex for so very publicly refusing to consider the marriage alliance. Anselm had heard about it, and repeated Alex's words almost verbatim when Maddox had insisted he couldn't marry Princess Fiera because he and Arden had an understanding. He was simply waiting a decent period to allow Arden to mourn before they married. Yes, Anselm purred. That unfortunate ambush. I had forgotten. I doubt Arden could help, Maddox said. After all, the tree was a gift from the wizards of Princess Arden made the tree. My people watched her as she created the tree. They saw your company flee the night it was stolen from the palace. And the wizards in question have no plant-wise magic even if they were inclined to gift you with such a devastating blessing, which they most certainly are not. You must be mistaken. Maddox felt his tongue freeze in his mouth, along with his mind, 
Now of all times he needed a dozen glib answers. None came, and all the while Anselm looked at him with that thin smile and his eyes big and dark and full of dangerous knowledge. No, you are mistaken if you think I will accept your habitual falsehoods, Anselm said. The reformation of the throne of Stonemount is required. Not just three magic apples before my king's daughter becomes your wife. You hesitate to ask Princess Arden for help because you don't know where she is. Well, she is somewhere in Westerland, I suppose. Maddox shrugged and took a sip from his cup when he longed to down the contents in one gulp. It's spring and she's a farmer at heart. I suspect she is out encouraging the crops for her people. It's part of her royal duty, of course. Of course. Anselm finally looked away, but somehow that was no improvement. By the time Jason returned to the walled garden with Lord Jago to report the visible improvement in the tree, Violet had fallen asleep in her traveling basket. Enwrapped with the tree, Arden never reacted to the two men who stopped in the gate. Jago nearly laughed aloud as he recognized Westerland's princess. While he would enjoy her terror when she recognized him and realized her scheme had failed, he decided to ensure that never happened. The longer Arden was here, unknown, working in secret, the better for him. Arden walked around the tree, sometimes ducking under its branches to touch the trunk, sometimes dancing back to the outer reaches of the branches and lightly brushing her fingers over the newly sprouted leaves. A trail of green and gold sparks, like a tail of smoke from a torch, followed her outstretched fingers. She had loosed her hair from her kerchief and braids, so it streamed out behind her. Sparks of magic spun from her hair, rising up around the tree. The branches moved in the slowly, stately dance in time with her movements, untouched by the errant gusts of evening breeze. "'You have done very well, Jason,' Lord Jago murmured. "'I will see that you are properly rewarded, when the king presents the apples to his bride. "'You will tell the king a plant-wise woman has come?' the head gardener begged. Jago respected Jason for his healthy fear, and his wisdom in always putting nobles between him and the king. That was how he had worked his way up to power.' although it always galled him that those above him always took credit for his hard work. Still, when something failed, they also took the punishment. Oh, yes, of course, immediately, Jago murmured. He smirked as Jason walked over to join Arden. He hadn't told Maddox about the last three contenders and had enjoyed threatening Jason in the king's name. He planned to keep the news to himself until he could decide how best to profit from it. Maddox deserved to be kept in the dark and worrying about his prey, he decided. For a while, at least. He had grown too cocky, thinking he needed no more guidance. Jago enjoyed the idea of watching Maddox panic and squirm, growing more desperate to find Arden. He would be properly appreciative when Jago revealed to him that his longed-for tool had been in his hands, almost in his pocket, for weeks. We're already at the end of today's chapter. I hope you enjoyed yourself and you're eagerly looking forward to the next episode of Ye Old Dragons Library.